dude, I can't wait to get some Jethro's wings after this podcast. Boneless. Me too. Well, I'll probably get the bone-in ones because I'm on keto and I can't have all that fried goodness. <laughs> depressing. Thanks for listening to Worship Local. Wow, that's really loud, actually. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. In today's podcast, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cue off of Habakkuk's argument with God from this past Sunday sermon. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to explore two pairs of arguments in the biblical story where the arguments with God seem similar, but God's response is different. So we'll contrast Habakkuk's argument with Job's argument with God. Then we'll do the same thing with a New Testament pair of arguments. We'll look at Zechariah's argument with Gabriel the angel, and we'll compare that with Mary's argument in the same chapter with Gabriel the angel, which gets a totally different response. So the big question is, why does God respond differently to similar arguments from different people in different contexts? What can you expect from God when you engage with God like this in prayer? So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. My name is Cole. I am a church member at Frontier, and I'm here with... I'm Andrew. I am also a church member Hey, we didn't talk about this. Did you Did you watch the national championship last night? No. I <laughs> knew it was going to happen. It was so depressing, man. I mean, it was infuriating that a team that played half as many games as the other team they were playing uh, got a shot at the title. And so I'm glad that uh, the Big Ten was punished and put on display by the SEC. I couldn't. Uh, disagree with you more. I, <laughs> uh, I was just hoping that Ohio State would pull off a big upset over Alabama. I mean, Alabama's offense is, it, it's like the best offense I've seen, I feel like. Well, that and LSU's offense last year. I was just hoping for a closer game, though. Yeah, I always like it whenever they're more competitive, but this year I've just been frustrated. One, the team that my Tennessee Vols are were terrible this year. And they were ranked preseason, yeah. right? Yeah. Like 15th. Yeah, they had uh, a really good, really strong recruiting uh, effort from the previous season. And yeah, they just got spanked repeatedly. And Iowa went 0-2 in the first two games, lost to Purdue and Northwestern, and then finished the season out with all wins. Yeah, and then got their bowl game canceled. Dude. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, But if you had told me at the beginning of the year, I would just never believe you if you had told me, hey, Iowa's going to lose to Purdue and Northwestern, and they're going to beat Penn State uh, and Wisconsin. I'd be like, no, you're living in a dreamland, man. That that would never happen. I think they should just scratch this past season out of the history books. I agree. It was just crazy. You know it's weird when a wide receiver wins the Heisman. Yeah. It's a weird season. <laughs> yeah, when was the last? Has that ever happened before? 91, 91, Desmond Howard. So 29 years ago. Yep, yep. That's nuts. Yeah, that dude, I mean, the dude who won it this year, though, he just, he totally deserves it. Yeah. That dude, was he scored three touchdowns in the first half as a wide receiver. It's <laughs> so crazy. I know, I know. Um, so Habakkuk, dude, yeah. we're, we're one week into Habakkuk. What was your, uh, what was your response to Sunday's sermon, Sunday's text and everything like that? Yeah, I was, I mean, the, the content was, you know, heavy because the book of Habakkuk is heavy. So it was really interesting. I mean, this was also like probably the biggest attended gatherings com- with, you know, adding both services together probably since March. So the most human beings in Noche since March. So both services surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. So that was super surprised. So that was exciting, but it was also, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I don't know if cool is the right word, but interesting to see how the the church responded to it. And I think it hits the the content of this past week's sermon hit people differently. Mm -hmm. I, I think probably based on like your level of suffering that you've experienced, probably, 
um, what caused you to receive the, you know, the, the, that first chunk of Habakkuk differently. Oh, oh, that's interesting to me, dude. Talk a little, speak a little bit into that. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, suffering is, it is relative to the person, right? Um, I'm not, yeah. gonna, so I'm yeah. not going to compare my suffering to someone else's suffering who's, you know, been suffering with, you know, chronic pain their whole life, but still to me that it, it's suffering. Um, yeah. But yeah. so I think people who have, you know, been deeply wounded or who have lost family members at a time where they shouldn't have died, um, like some of those really things that universally people look at and say, oh, that is, you know, heartbreaking. Um, I think those people have probably been faced, have had to come to terms with how do I dialogue with God a little bit more? Um, I, I definitely, I, you know, yelled at God you know, five years ago, whenever this thing happened to me. Um, and I wasn't sure if that was okay, or I complained to God and I wasn't sure if that was okay or appropriate. Um, so I think, yeah, based on your, your suffering, uh, that's my theory, at least based on your suffering. Um, I think you could interpret, um, the content of Sunday's sermon differently. Yeah. So like, I, let me know if I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, but it sounds to me like you're saying like, People who have experienced a lot of suffering look at Habakkuk's argument and they're like, oh, thank God, uh, it's possible to dialogue with God like that. I get it. And people who haven't experienced a lot of suffering are maybe like, ah, I think Habakkuk's in the wrong here. Why would I ever dialogue with God like that? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, suffering can produce uh, you know, added layers of emotional um, it, it produces, uh, yeah, a depth to your emotionality um, that that will take you places um, like places of complaint or places of lament or places of uh, discouragement and understanding that life is fragile, but God is not fragile. So, I, yeah, so I, I think you look at a lot of um, a lot of hymns that have been written were written out of a place of like lamenting to the Lord or a place of they were being persecuted. So they produce, you know, these songs as a, as a result of what they were experiencing. Mm, mm-hmm. So, so I think, you know, I, I think like this, Tracy and I've been married for eight years and uh, we've had kids for five years, but like these past five years have been the one, the years that we have probably complained to the Lord the most uh, just sure. because life yeah. is difficult. We don't live close to our family things have happened to us that we didn't want to happen. And so, yeah, I think we got to a point where, yeah. And the, you know, the pandemic, like all this stuff, the, uh, you know, relationships falling apart, seeing brothers and sisters depart from the faith. So I I definitely have, yeah, cried out to, to God more than I ever have before. And so when I read Habakkuk, I'm like, yeah, this looks a lot like my, (laughs) my dialogue with the Lord or I, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was, I do I'm a part of this thing called the ultimate journey. It's really interesting. But last week, um, we, we talked about how, you know, how speaking to, we speak to ourselves and sometimes we don't realize it. Um, and we do need to speak to ourselves because, you know, our brains are what's controlling us. So put in good content into your brain, um, remind yourself of the gospel. But, um, you know, I get so caught up in that that there are times where I don't take it to the Lord. Um, so, so I'm, I'm excited. And then we talked about this last week on the podcast. Like, I, I want my, um, I want to have more of a dialogue with with the Lord, mm, and not yeah. just in like asking for things, but of yeah. conversating with Him. Do you do you naturally have, like, whether with the Lord or just with yourself? Do you naturally have like a pretty strong inner dialogue? Like, if I could somehow. <laughs> If it were possible for me to tune into the radio frequency of Andrew Self's inner life, would it mostly be like radio silence, or would I mostly hear inner dialogue? Dude, I've been talking to myself so much lately that it's crept into crept out into me actually verbalizing what I'm saying to myself. Oh, talk to me a little <laughs> bit more about that. Yeah, just, that's that's super interesting. Yeah, I brought this up with the the guys that I'm going through this course with, and um, on, talking about on this topic of talking to yourself and um. I am my worst critic. Like, there's, I think that Satan, uh, he just uses my own words against myself. Like, I don't think he has to produce any new content into my brain. I'm already at work doing that. Yeah. And yeah, so, like, I'm just, you know, criticizing myself so much in my mind that I, I said out loud once, 
Andrew, you're an idiot. No, you did. Yeah. You said that out I said, loud. Dude, it, it Andrew. Came, it came out of my mouth. Um, so that was, I. it was very sobering. I was like, oh man, I am, I am saying things to myself that Jesus doesn't say about me. Like I'm slandering myself. I'm gossiping about myself with myself. So that, yeah, I probably should go see a therapist or something. Like that. <laughs> well, that, yeah, maybe. Um, that's just interesting though. Um, so it, one note that I meant to make in Sunday's sermon, which I didn't make, was the, an exegetical note on chapter 1, verse 2, where um, the, the word that Habakkuk used for crying for help to God, oh Lord, how, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Um, uh, apparently, like that word cry, literally, it literally is supposed to be interpreted as crying out loud. So, like, I think we have a tendency to, like, look at Habakkuk and to think, like, oh, he's saying these things in his heart. But he's not. Yeah. He's crying out loud to God. He's he's arguing with God out loud. Like I think that Habakkuk chapter one comes from Habakkuk's diaphragm out of his vocal cords and into the air. Like I, I think that this is an external dialogue with with God. Yeah, I, I think especially like in the time that he was writing this, cultures were. I mean, it's still even. Um, Middle Eastern cultures are far more expressive and loud and boisterous and mm-hmm. that's uh, really true affectionate. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, and you think about Daniel, like whenever they catch him like praying to to Yahweh, um, it's like was he just like silently praying? I think that homie was praying out loud. He was dialoguing with the Lord out loud. He was verbalizing it. it wasn't you know internalizing um, his prayers. Would you would you recommend that as a discipline to our church? Like, would you say, I think you guys should pray out loud more often? Yes. And I think especially if you have trouble maintaining your attention to prayer, then praying out loud will be a way to keep your... It'll be a way to, yeah, keep your attention on what you're actually doing. Because um, if I just try to silently pray um, at night, you know, pray in my head, um, you know, like the classic. I don't know if you experienced this growing up, but you know, you start eating before the meal has been blessed and you know, it's like, well, I already prayed in my head, so I'm good to go. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, if I do that, then yeah, I, I will, I'll lose my attention and I'll start thinking about something else. So, um, so yeah, I think praying out loud, like do it in your car. Like that's what I've been doing yeah. is when I'm driving, I'm just praying out loud in my car and people think I'm looking, you know, talking to, you know, somebody on the, on Bluetooth or something, but I'm actually <laughs> praying. <are>. I, oh. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I think that, or even writing your prayer out and then reading your prayer out loud. Like, I think that can be very, very powerful and life-giving. I bet 2% of our church does that. I bet we could shut the podcast off right now, and I think it's already been worth it. Like, I think that's such a good, um, that's like such a helpful note about prayer that I don't hear very often. Yeah. I mean, because it's, I feel some, it's weird to an extent, but then also, if you have a copy of the Valley of Vision and you read that out loud, it's the same thing. Like, you're reading someone else's prayer, and that's awesome, and that's good. But mm-hmm. yeah, what would it look like for you to um, write out a prayer and then read it aloud? Like, th- Get you because it's you know it's hard to get the the tone of a written prayer, but like as you're reading your written prayer and you're remembering, oh, this is why I wrote this down. I'm really angry about this area of my life, and oh, and that I'm super thankful for this area of my life. So when you're verbalizing that, you'll be able to you know, communicate to yourself the tone that you have in your head. Yeah, I agree. And um, one thing I like about journal prayer is the, the the confrontation of a blank white page. <laughs> you know, just the way that a blank white page looks at you, man, cuz it it's it's such it's such a revealing act, it's such a revealing activity. Um because if you don't have an inner dialogue with the Lord and if you don't have anything to say, the page is going to remain blank and just blink at you. Uh-huh. And so it really forces you to confront whether or not, do I have a rich spiritual life? Is there anything going on in, inside of my heart? And um, so I, I really like it for that for yeah. that reason. And you can look back on it and you know see prayers answered. I've got yeah. little yeah. pocket notebooks from oh, 2008, 
And I was just, I was looking through them the other day and I'm like, oh, what was that? Like, I was asking God for this. I was asking God for oh, wow. this, this girl to go on a date with me. And <laughs> yes, thank yes. God that he did answer that yes. prayer by not letting it come to fruition. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. Field notes. Do you do field notes? I was, before I understood what field notes were, I, mm. yeah, I had the, not the knockoffs. Is your, is your primary go-to field notes? Yeah, that's my primary go-to. But I just bought this sweet Blackwing journal that I'm about to dig into. Oh, Christmas present? Uh, Barnes & Noble clearance section. Oh, baby. Yeah, 10 yeah. bucks. I get a pencil and a journal. What's up, dude? I do the uh, I do the Baron Fig journals. Those are sweet. I've got some of those too. Yeah, you were ahead of me in that game. You, were, you, got, you got a Baron Fig before I did. But these are like, I don't know, they're probably 200 pages, right? Something like that. Yeah, they're thick. So whenever I whenever I finish uh, a prayer journal, whenever I finish those two hundred pages, I set aside a couple hours of a work day to go through all the prayers. That's awesome. And then I just I don't know, man. Like I, I kind of feel the same way you did about like your two thousand and eight journal, which is like one thing that it shows you is how much the Lord has sanctified me. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I just know I don't notice because I have to be me every day. Um, day after day. And so sometimes I just fail to notice how much God has grown me. And those prayers really show me yeah. that. Yeah. Know? And you get look back on those times and, and you can say, man, I really should have asked the Lord for this, or I really should have prayed this. And But don't stop with that, but go on to think about how the Holy Spirit has been interceding for you in those moments where you didn't know what to ask for. So that's been, mm. that's been something I've been trying to do is uh, reevaluate like, my prayer life and be like, okay, this is good that I was asking for this, but I should have more appropriately asked for this, but knowing that the Holy Spirit is praying for me and interceding for me. Yeah, that's right. So, dude. so Habakkuk, yeah. is there, <laughs> is there, is there anything um, in the first chapter of Habakkuk that you kind of like want to kick around or explore or interest you or popped to you? Um, any way that we can kind of keep the, the character of Habakkuk front and center in our imaginations and kind of develop him and think through him. Is there anything in the first chapter that you're like, man, I wish, Wish you would have preached on this, or wish wish we could talk about this. Um, I think one of the one of the things that stands out to me is that you know he's saying, "How long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen?" Like, I, I, I'm curious, like, how long was he crying out? Like, was it days? Was it months? Was it years? Like, I don't know if um, anyone's speculated on that. I guess you could trace down like the decline of Judah, um, but but that, like to me, it's like. He's like, I, you know, day in and day out, I've been waking up and crying out. I've been going to bed crying out, um, and you're not, you're not answering me. Um, and so I think that's, yeah, that's something that's good for, for Christians to think about is that you can ask and pray and cry out and lament for a long time, and maybe it seems like it's not going to come true, but God, he does, he does provide you with an answer, uh, but his timeline is different than, you know, our the timeline that we would project. Um, so I, like I see this as him being as Habakkuk, you know, being faithful and pursuing an answer from God and right. continuing to bring up his, his complaints, continue to, to bring up the emotions that he's experiencing. Because it's only three chapters long. So you can read through it so quickly. I mean, it, it takes what, 20 minutes to read? Probably. Yeah. If that 15, and so I think the temptation is to think that this conversation happened between Habakkuk and God from 2 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. But there's some hints in the text that you're right, that this is stretched out a little bit. Like, we haven't touched this yet, but after Habakkuk's second complaint, chapter 2 starts with Habakkuk saying, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So that seems to be an indicator that this is taking place over the course of days or weeks mm-hmm. and not just like minutes and, and, yeah. and hours, right? He's like, he's like, okay, that's my second complaint. I'm going to stand up here on, on the top of this tower. I'm going to stand on the roof and I'm just going to wait mm-hmm. to see what you have to say to me, God. Yeah, that's. I th- I think that's. I probably if I'm critical of myself, it's um, when it comes to my dialogue with God. I, I would say I'm asking Him like a little petulant child um, for the same thing over and over and over. Um, but you know that's how He wants us to approach Him. And then that you know the key is wait wait for that response. Mm, mm-hmm. um, 
Because if you you know ask someone a question or if you bring up a complaint to someone, you've got to wait for that response. And that's not you're not being passive. You're you're being active and you're waiting. It's like one of the things you know if you look at um, in the in the Old Testament, it talks about them waiting. It's it's an an act of fleshing out your hope. All right. I know that God is going to answer me. If he's feels like he's not, he's not answering me right now, but I have this hope and this expectation that he will answer me. So I'm going to yeah, put myself and um, take up my position as a, as a watchman and wait for, wait for this thing to happen that I know is going to mm-hmm. happen, but I've got to mm-hmm. wait for it. So Habakkuk's argument so far in chapter one, which we've studied, is essentially, um, God, why aren't you doing anything about this situation? And mm-hmm. then God responds by saying, I am doing something. It's just the last thing on earth you would ever think I would do. And then Habakkuk's second complaint is, are you serious? I mean, that's essentially like the back and forth yeah. so far. Um, but what interests me, and this is kind of where I want to get to in the heart of our podcast, is that this is a little bit, God responds to Habakkuk a little bit differently than he responds to Job. Mm-hmm. And Habakkuk and Job's complaints are pretty similar. So here's here's a summary of Job's argument. I think this comes from like Job 9. Job says, God will not turn back his anger. Well, do you want to give us a little preface of what's going on in Job's life? Job is not facing the Chaldeans. He's not facing the Babylonians. Um, He's not in Judah like Habakkuk is. What's going on with Job? Could you fill us in? Yeah. I mean, he's like a microcosm of what Judah's experiencing minus the idolatry, but he's... Oh, yeah, that's good. Death has been happening. His family is taken from him. His, you know crops have been taken away from him. Basically, the dude's life is utterly miserable. He's covered with sores. Like Every every movement in his life is a reminder that he is experiencing immense level of suffering. Mm. Um, so, yeah, he's getting advice from people uh, to, to do things. His wife tells him to curse God and to die. Like, his life is terrible. Mm-hmm. And he cries out, you know, from this from this place of experiencing huge levels of suffering. And, and he says, his argument is God will not turn back his anger. How then can I answer him choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. So he calls God his accuser. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it's a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it's a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, I just can't believe he says that, my mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless. I regard not myself, and I loathe my life. So it's it's different than Habakkuk's argument, mm-hmm. but not that different. No. And God responds to Habakkuk with revelation. He says, okay, here's what I'm doing as a result of it. That's not the way that God responds to Job. Um, God doesn't give Job revelation. He goes on to say, and this is God, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? So that's different than the way that he responds to Habakkuk. Yeah. He doesn't let Job know what's going on. He just tosses the ball back in Job's court. Says, hey, why don't you tell me what's up, dude? We're about to wrestle. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, it it is interesting um, because in both both instances, um, you're seeing that the the righteous will live by faith. Like Habakkuk goes on to, to talk about that. But Job's... His allegiance and faithfulness to Yahweh is being tested. There's a tester who comes and he says, hey, let me go sift your homeboy Job. Let me see if he actually loves you. Um, if he's actually, like, because life is good for him right now. So let's see if we bring in some suffering into his life, if he'll actually, you know, be faithful to you. Mm-hmm. And so God is going about proving Job's 
faithfulness in a in a way that does not make sense, in a way that if you were to tell Job before all this happened, hey, God's going to do this to you, and he's going to prove your faithfulness, and uh, he's totally just in doing all of this stuff. He'd mm-hmm. be like, I'm not believing that. That's crazy talk. And then with Habakkuk, you have God is purifying Judah by raising up a giant nation to come in and crush them mm-hmm. to, to prove yeah. the, the faithfulness of the ones who are actually following and believing in Yahweh. So... So so Habakkuk says, paraphrase, life sucks right now. And then God says, okay, here's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Job says, hey, my life sucks right now. And God says, hey, you, then you tell me what you would do if you were God. Like, how, what do you make of that? Like, what, what do you make of, of God's varied, diverse responses to what seems to be a pretty similar question and argument? Like, do you wrestle with that? Yeah, I probably... Are you like... I, so let me phrase it really clearly. When you petition to God, do you wonder which which God am I going to get? <laughs> the God of Habakkuk and the God of Job. And I'm being facetious. They're the same God. Yeah. We know that. But. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've ever really thought about it before we started having this Habakkuk conversation over the last couple of weeks. I've never... I think it's just because I'm so... I don't get into like the... I'm such a black and white thinker most of the time that I'm just like, yeah. well, this is what he chose to do here. And then, then this is what he chose to do over there. So I don't know if I have a good answer to that. I, I think it shows God's complexity. And he's, mm. even in his different um, different actions, he still maintains consistency in what he's doing, showing that he's holy, showing that his okay. ways are above uh, above our ways, showing that he knows what's best and showing that he's he's going, he's, He's operating on a plane that we don't understand, um, right? But he wants people to be faithful to him, and he's being faithful to his people. So I guess that's just where my mind goes when I'm looking at this. I, probably because I'm not, you know, looking at it as a my emotions aren't always brought out because I'm like, oh, this is just like a textbook, blah 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 blah. But as I'm, a, as God is growing me, I'm seeing like the complexity of the scripture and the beauty of the scripture. So maybe. Ask me that question again in like three years, and maybe I'll have an answer. <laughs> so, like when you read the scriptures, does does it play in your head like a like a scene from a movie, or or like um, does it play through your head like a problem on a chalkboard being written out? Mainly the the chalkboard one, like uh, that. I think it's just my personality and yeah, in all of life. But as I'm yeah, as I'm seeing like how the scriptures are written and like the genre of it. Like I'm learning how to more properly interpret that and see like the, the tension there of, you know, another good example is um, Moses gets the 10 commandments, brings them down. There's this covenant ceremony between Israel and Yahweh. Moses goes back up and then he finds out like God tells him, Hey, uh, those pe- your people down there, uh, they just, they're doing some wicked stuff. Mm-hmm. Moses goes down like, Hey guys, this isn't good. God's going to kill everyone uh, because of this. Moses goes back up and has this petition that brings, brings things that Yahweh has said about himself to account. So, Hey, don't you remember what yes, you said? That's so interesting. Don't you remember that, you know, you have covenanted with us and that you've promised to take us into this promised land and use us as a, as a compelling nation to reclaim the nations. And, you know, he, you know, it's like when a kid, you know, says, but dad, you said this, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a reminder of, oh yeah, I did tell you, you could have this snack if you did this thing over here. Um, so but I, I think that's another example of God has a different response there. Like he starts off being like, it appears that he's going back on his word. He's not actually, that's not the implications the text gives us, but yeah, yeah. Um, but you have, again, have this dialogue yeah. with Moses sure. pointing his finger at Yahweh and saying, Hey, you said this and now you're saying this. Do you think that, do you think that Habakkuk consciously sees himself as um, a, a type of fulfillment of Moses? Is he thinking about Moses as he's writing Habakkuk? I, I wondered yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, I, I've wondered that as well uh, with a lot of the prophetic writing because you have Moses who is like this, was supposed to be like a priest and a prophet. Right. He, you know, God concedes and makes Aaron a priest. So Moses basically functions as this prophet, the one right. who is communicating with with God on behalf of Israel. Um, so yeah, I, I bet the prophets, I mean, if they're looking at Moses as like, okay, here's this dude uh, who was God's, you know, let's say first prophet for um, the sake of this argument. 
I bet they were they were probably thinking these, through these things. Like Habakkuk is seeing Judah's apostasy and idolatry, and is thinking, what? What? I bet Moses felt like I'm feeling right now when he came down from the mountain and saw people, you know, running around worshiping this this golden calf and having orgies and getting drunk, like doing all this stuff. Like, I, I, that's a would be interesting. Like, if a good thought experiment. <laughs> yes, it would be interesting. Yeah. Oh man. So here's. Here's here's one way I've been thinking through it. Let me know what you think about this. Um, but since you since you brought up that example of Moses arguing with God by appealing to God's covenant with Israel, one one big takeaway that I've had when I've been thinking through why is God responding to Moses and Habakkuk differently than He responds to Job? One 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 takeaway I've had was when people in the Bible argue with God, sometimes they stake the basis of their argument on the character of God rather than themselves. So they don't appeal to God or argue with God on the basis of their own merit and say things like, well, I've been such a good boy. Why didn't I get what I wanted for Christmas? I've been so godly. So why did you give me this marriage? Instead with Moses, and I think you see this with Habakkuk and you definitely see this with the psalmist. They stake the the strength of their arguments on the unchangeable character and covenant of God. Hmm. The psalmist says, according to your mercy, forgive me. Uh, According to the unchangeable covenant you made with these people, don't destroy us. Or Habakkuk hints at that. Are you not God from everlasting? Mm -hmm. On the basis of the character we know, that's what I'm going to stake my argument with. And God responds super favorably to... I shouldn't say to Habakkuk. (laughs) He responds honestly (laughs) and gives Habakkuk revelation. Uh He responds very favorably to Moses um, but not so with Job. And I wonder if it's because Job stakes a lot of his argument on his own character. Mm-hmm. Like in the text we just read, where, where was that at? He says three times, though I am in the right. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's part of it? Yeah, I think that's that's probably, I was starting to, to think through like the difference of like corporate appeals for a corporate change versus appeals for like an individual circumstantial change. So, but that's probably the heart of the, that, that, that process. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, because of, you know, in, in this covenantal relationship, both have, you know, obligations to uphold the covenant, but who is the one who has the, you know, was merciful and, sh- and, you know, covenanting was, was it Israel? No, definitely not. God, mm-hmm. an act yeah. of mercy was covenanting with, with Israel is an act of kindness. So yeah, they don't have much to bring to the table except faithfulness, which is what God is after. But, but yeah, you know, those, yeah, with Habakkuk and Moses, it's not like, Hey, we promise we'll do better next time. Or, Hey, right. we've been yeah. so good in these areas. Can't you overlook the areas where we've been bad in? Um, yeah, they appeal to, Hey, you're holy. We're not, we need you to keep up. We need you to, to act and to move because we're paralyzed right now. Yeah, I just wonder if that'd be a takeaway for an ancient believer who, you know, puts puts Habakkuk and Job side by side, examines them and walks away thinking, okay, so if I am angry with God, I want to make sure that I appeal with reverence to his character rather than my own. So that's another question I have for you. Do you think it's possible? Well, let's keep it with Habakkuk. Um is Habakkuk being reverent even when he's arguing with God and angry at God? Is it possible to hold together anger and reverence? I think so, because anger is an emotion, um, and emotions aren't inherently wrong or inherently wicked. Uh, like we're told, uh, you know, be angry and do not sin. You've got Jesus, you know, he gets angered when he looks at the temple and what it's become and, you know, cleanses the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, so was Jesus sinning in that moment? Well, no. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think you can hold those two things together and that probably for us, for modern people, postmodern people, especially like that's, we, we can't see both of those things, uh, uh, being able to be, to hold those things together. Um, cause I think you can be like, reverence and anger. Yeah. They're, because there are times when my kids come to me and they say, I don't like what I have, what I, I don't like what you put on my plate. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry that you're mad or upset about 
you know, the eggs that I scrambled for you and the toast that I put on your plate. I'm sorry that you don't <laughs> like that. Um, but that's what, that's what it is. It yeah. changes whenever they say, I hate this food. I want something else. And they try to jump out of their chair or they start throwing stuff. They, you know, fling the plate off the table. Uh, that is not being reverent. So, yeah. so I, th- I think, I think you can hold those two things together. I think you can be angry, but then also be reverent. Um, so you think Habakkuk is the first example? He's not flinging his plate off the table. I I think so. Um, I'm open to being wrong. You know, we kind of before we started recording, we're talking about this topic, and yeah, um, yeah. I can see going both ways. But um, you know, we have some really good examples of of reverence, and and maybe Habakkuk isn't the prototype for the the proto example of anger and reverence. Um, but you can look at, like I said earlier, Jesus, you know, he, him complaining, like, why have you forsaken me? This is the reality that I'm experiencing now. Mm-hmm. Why have you forsaken me? Or Jesus in the garden. Hey, if there's any other way that we can do this, I would really prefer that option. I'd prefer the route where I don't have to experience all of your wrath in order for me to, you know, save these people and, um, provide salvation to all nations. Um, and there do seem to be some linguistic parallels between Jesus's complaints on the cross and Habakkuk's complaint. Like Habakkuk is, why do you make me look at this evil? Why do you make me look at this iniquity? And Jesus's complaint on the cross is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so there seems to be some linguistic parallels. And I, I, I say seems to because Jesus's complaints on the cross is directly from Psalm 22 and not from Habakkuk. Right. So I would I would be cautious to say, oh, he's doing Habakkuk before I said, oh, he's definitely doing Psalm 22. Yeah. But nevertheless, I see some parallels. Yeah. I mean, and if you compare, I think you know, you compare Habakkuk with with Jonah, like you see the complete opposite. You see uh, Jonah say, you want to save these people? Those people are terrible. Mm-hmm. I don't want those people. And he, what does he try to do? The exact opposite of dialoguing with God is he runs away and tries to escape from the sight of the Lord. Hides in the bottom of the boat. Hides in the bottom of the boat. And he's still angry. Mm-hmm. Like the, the dialogue yeah. that he has with God through, throughout the narrative is, is one of anger. Why, why should you pour out justice on those people? Mm-hmm. Like those people aren't worthy of, of your forgiveness or your salvation. You can't do that. You're our God. We, I don't want to. I don't want to open the door to those people. For you to, yeah, be merciful and gracious to them. And God says, "Hey, aren't there a bunch of people over there that that I have created that I want to that I <laughs> yeah, want to save?" Uh, so, like, and also cattle. Yeah, <laughs> and some cattle. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part of um, Jonah. Yeah, but I mean, Yahweh in that narrative, he's appealing to his own character. Hey, this is who I am. You don't get to choose who I forgive. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get your bottom into Nineveh to proclaim my message. Hmm. And even with a half-hearted message of repentance and forgiveness, God still saves a city. So, you know, that's that's good because I I look at I look at the difference between Job and Habakkuk and I think what are what are the takeaways? And I think that's a fine question. Um, but the more you study Jonah and the more you study Isaiah and the more you study all of these biblical texts, the more I wonder if I don't think ancient believers were walking away from these texts thinking, okay, here's five things I want to know about prayer or 10 things I want to know about prayer. I think they walked away from all these texts and they thought, oh my gosh, when I dialogue with Almighty God, I am dialoguing with a being who is supreme and sovereign and absolutely different and distinct from me in every way. And so I should not be surprised if God responds in any way that he chooses. When I engage with God in dialogue, I ought to expect it to be a relational roller coaster ride mm-hmm. rather than here's five takeaways from yeah. this. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that's what I see when it in, in the. Uh, example of Job and the example of Habakkuk. God, he's doing things that don't make sense to humans because God is not a human. He is, he's God. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's everlasting. He's omnipotent. He's omniscious. Um, so, yeah, so I see that. So it's like, oh, how, and how is, I think the, 
like looking back on this, it's how is how is how can God be just in how he does these things? How can God be just and use wicked people to show his justice? And then he after he uses those people to accomplish justice, he pours out his justice. He he pours out his punishment on those people that he used. And he used them because they were wicked. Mm, like yeah. that that like I, I think that for Israel to be able to, you know, have these things recorded um, of God's interaction with with Israel and with the world, they they see okay, God, we understand that you are you are other than you are holy, you mm-hmm. are different than us. Your your space is is different than the space that we occupy. Um, so yeah, I think this looking at Habakkuk that should produce reverence in you. Yeah, we. Man, I should I should have had this pulled up. I didn't know I was going to say this though, um, but I love I love what we confessed in our liturgy on Sunday together this last week from the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Mm-hmm. Um, it was perfect for our text. So before we even looked at the text, we confessed this together in the liturgy. Um, his knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon us, and he is most holy in all his ways, in all his works, and in all his wants. To him is due from us worship, service, and joy. Mm -hmm. And I like that confession from the 1689, because it is a confession that's based on the wild but dependable sovereignty of God, that whatever he does, he is most holy in, and his knowledge is totally independent upon us, Mm -hmm. which is what I see in... Habakkuk. Yeah. And it's and it's not like he's playing humanity is not a video game that God is playing and controlling all of their actions and you know he's just robotically doing things. Like God is about his own glory and the joy of his people, the joy of the nations. Mm. He wants the nations yeah. to be glad. So he 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 does things that we cannot do and we shouldn't do. It's not like I want to use Malachi to punish Lydia. I'd be like, hey, you go take, you know, you go, to, you go take the thing away from your sister, and then I cause some, you know, sibling rivalry between them. But um, I'm not holy, yeah, so I can't yeah. do that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I thought about that. Um, you know, since we have two services, I was like, oh, that's how you know this played in to played together really nicely. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about Habakkuk and Job and those arguments, or do you want to move on to the New Testament? Let's move on. Okay, so let's move on to the New Testament. So I wanted us to kind of like look at, whoa, Job says this, and God says this in response to him, and then Habakkuk says this, and then God responds this way to him. So I wanted us to look at that Old Testament, because it's going to be very clear in the New Testament. So in Luke 1, we have two arguments with God, and they're paralleled with with one another. So here's... Here's the first argument. The first argument is Zechariah and Gabriel the angel. So uh, Gabriel the angel comes to Zechariah, who's this, he's this, he's this old priest who doesn't have any kids. And he says, hey, you're going to have a child born to you through your, through your wife, and his name is going to be John. And so Zechariah says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him and cue into this. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Whoa. So Zechariah says, hey, how is this going to go down? And boom, he gets muted. Um, but literally later on in that chapter, we have this argument between Mary and the angel. So you guys know the, the story of, of Mary, right? The Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Hey, the Holy Spirit's going to be upon you and he's going to bear a son to you. Call him Jesus. And here's what the text says. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son, and and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So you have, you have Zechariah saying, How's this possible? And boom, muted. And you've got Mary saying, how is this possible? And the angel's like, high five. <laughs> What's going on there, dude? 
Well, uh, the first thing that pops in my mind as a priest, Zachariah should have been fairly familiar with the story of Abraham, and a similar thing happened with Abraham and with. Oh, with Sarah. I wondered if you were going to go yeah. there. Okay, so he should have been like, you could see the 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 skepticism. Like when I when I read this, and maybe it's just because I've seen this dramatized out in plays and kids' movies and you know other movies that I've watched in, throughout the course of my life that portray Zachariah as like. This isn't possible. You see how old I am? It, my wife, she's advanced in years. <laughs> this, there's no way that this is going to happen. So they really like lean into the tone. Yeah, and so I, like that's just lodged in my head as I when anytime I read this this passage. Um, but with Mary, like the way that she responds, you know, it's like it's it's not her saying, "Hey, I have been putting in all this work for years to have a kid." She's saying, "I I haven't done anything to like bring about a kid. How is this possible?" Um, so I see like her just saying, hey, this like normally you have to you know do certain things to have a child. So how is this possible? Like, I don't know. When I read it, I see her like um, presenting a genuine question. Hey, how <laughs> how can this yeah. work? I've not been yeah. I've not been with a man. Um, but again, that could just be like the way that I've been catechized by Christian art for 29 years. <laughs> I did. I so let me cue off the first thing you said, which was the difference in credentials. You pointed out that Zechariah was a priest, and he should have been familiar with the Abraham story. Is doesn't the name Zechariah even relate back to Abraham in some way? Ah, never mind. That's not important. Um, but there was one theologian I read who said, "Hey, there's a difference in credentials here. So we have a poor peasant woman and an elderly priest. So of course God is going to respond to questions differently." Mm-hmm. Maybe does that mean that does that mean that Judy Maxwell is allowed to argue with the Lord and ask questions, but we're not since we're supposed <laughs> to be pastors? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's my takeaway. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I don't buy. I don't know if I buy that. Yeah, I don't know if I like the credential piece, but you know, the name Zachariah means Yahweh has remembered, so it's pretty funny. Oh, that, okay. I so, thought there was something. So yeah, there. so Zachariah apparently has forgotten the the power of of Yahweh and that how he can put babies in the wombs of old women. So it's supposed to be ironic and kind of funny. Possibly. Maybe not intentionally, but I, to me, it's very funny. His name <laughs> yeah. means Yahweh has remembered, but Zachariah forgets. It forgets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's True be, to his name. That's, yeah, that's probably, Yahweh remembers. Yeah. <laughs> not Zechariah. That's probably Zachariah's autobiography. He wrote the title of it. Um, so yeah, I, the credential piece, I, I don't think that's what it is. But I, I, you just read into this guy who's probably, you know, cried out to God for many years for a child. Like having a child was a huge deal back then, uh, especially a male. Um, cried out probably for you know decades, I guess, and nothing happened. So then now an angel from Yahweh comes and says, "Hey, I got good news for you, Zachariah. There's going to be a baby, and this is mm. all he's going to mm. do, and what he's going to you know, whatever." And Zachariah has just become cynical. He's lost hope. Mm. He's lost hope in this thing that he's wanted. Maybe he stopped crying out after twenty years, hmm. and just like, well, this is the this is how life is going to be. Um, so that's when I when I read this narrative, that's what that's what goes into my mind is, hey, he's he's showing distrust. He's probably, he's cynical. He's skeptical. He's lost hope in this you know desire to have a child. When Mary's just like, I'm genuinely curious how I'm going to give birth to a baby. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right because it seems like Luke goes through pains to draw parallels of similarities between Zechariah and Mary. So he goes through pains to to draw parallels. It's it's right it's the it's the same angel who's coming to people and they're asking almost identically the same questions. So there's there's all of these similarities in the text, but there there is one difference. And the difference is that when it talks about Mary's conversation, they emphasize... Uh, where is this at? They emphasize that Mary believes the Lord. Mm-hmm. And they don't do that with Zechariah. So there's no peace in Zechariah that says in, in Zechariah. So that's the one difference. You have all these parallels where you're like, oh, Zechariah and Mary are having the same conversation. And they are, except for one piece. Yep. Faith. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and you've got, you know, in verse 28, uh, and it says, and he came to her, um, he came to her and said, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly perplexed at the statement and was pondering what sort of what sort of greeting this might be. So she's like, "Oh, what's this guy doing here? Like, <laughs> what, what kind of a greeting is this that I'm fa- that I've found favor in God's eyes? That the Lord is with me." And then the angel says, "Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in the womb, and will give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus." And so then, you know, yeah, it's just yeah, I, I think yeah, the parallels of this is how to to do it. Like it's this. Both of these, you know, instances of Zachariah and Mary. Um, there's no belief in this. There's uh, I just lost it. Oh, there there are statements of disbelief, right? Yeah, yeah. Zachariah, totally. that's not going to happen. Mary, how can this happen? Right. And you know where I stand on. <laughs> Obviously, you know where I stand on temple theology. Yeah. So I can't help but wonder the irony of the both these conversations are happening in Luke 1, and Zechariah's conversation hap- happens inside the temple, and Mary's doesn't. And as an ancient believer, you'd be primed to think, oh, the favorable conversation is going to happen inside the temple, and it doesn't. The less than favorable one happens within the temple, uh-huh. and the more favorable one happens outside of the temple. And so I think ancient believers are wondering, is God expanding his sacred space already? And it seems like he is. Mm-hmm. So it's really shocking on different terms. There's also another theologian who says that maybe we could account for the difference in response and difference in situation. So he says, we can also note that Zechariah doubts about a matter of nature that God has overridden before. When, for example, he enabled Abraham and Sarah to conceive in old age. But Mary wonders, due to a vow of virginity she has already rendered to God, thus she regards God, while Zechariah seemingly doubts God. So in Zechariah's instance, we have text, biblical text, where people in old age get pregnant because of the favor of God. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Mary's instance, we don't have a virgin birth. Right. So part of it's like um, God has a track record. With the first one. Yeah. And we would expect him to get that. Uh-huh. Whereas the track record for Mary isn't there yet. Yeah. So I thought that was, I'm a little bit more with that. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I think that one, that's what I you know, said earlier. I think she was genuinely genuinely asking a question. Zacharias right. facetiously asking a question. It's like, <laughs> you know, he probably chuckled, like, how is that possible? Have you seen, you know, we're old. That's not going to happen. Mm. When he should have known that angel said to him, his brain should have been triggered to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Right, right. Yeah, totally, totally. But he, he, you know, didn't care anymore or scoffed at the angel. And the the hilarious thing about this, uh, maybe that's an overreach, um, but the commentary that the Bible gives us of these two conversations comes in Luke one forty five, where a character said, Uh, about Mary, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Do you know who said that? Zechariah's wife. Yeah. So so it's Zechariah's wife. I imagine like, I imagine like um, Zechariah is next door and she's saying it loudly so that he can hear it. Like, Blessed is you you who believe there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, unlike my husband in the next room. <laughs> yeah, this fool, he can't even talk now. He's got to scribble stuff down on some papyrus. <laughs> um, do you have any takeaways from those differences too? Like, we're pastoring our people towards a deeper, in, intimate, raw prayer life with God. Um, and I don't want them to wonder, like, am I going to get Zechariah's God or am I going to get Mary's God? So do you have any, like, takeaways for us? Yeah, I think um, I'm probably more prone to to uh, Zechariah. Like, I see myself more in, in him of, like, asking God for things and then mm. giving up. And then if God were to give me that thing or someone would say, hey— um, this is going to happen. God's going to give this to you. I'd be like, no, he's not. I've asked him for 15 years for this thing. Like, would we, if, if our, 
if our request, if our cries, if our complaints, if if an angel were to come to us and say, hey, God's been at work all this time that you've been crying out for these things. God's been at work all this time in um, purifying his people. Um, if the angel came and told you that, would would you be like Zachariah or Mary? Would you would you say, no, he's not? Like, look at the circumstances here. That's mm-hmm. it's not going to, if he's going to do it now, why didn't he do it, you know, weeks ago or days ago? And instead, we should be like Mary of like, okay, how is how is he going to do this? Like, how is God going to make this thing happen? How is yeah, he going to make yeah. this you know broken relationship better? How is he going to make me look more like Christ? How is he going to to save my my unbelieving family member? Like, I, I think those are two really good case studies for us to examine. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word, man. I think so too. Because I I want our church's prayer lives deepened as a result of this, not stunted. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want I don't want people who are believers in Jesus who have the Holy Spirit and are are covered in the blood of Jesus to be like, well, I don't know if I can pray because I'm afraid of what's going to come out of me, and I don't know if God's going to snatch my tongue out of my mouth for a month because I can't afford that because yeah. I got to go to work. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, and I think you know we've. In our spiritual practices sermon series, um, you know, and what what you do with Saturdays in the Spirit and asking God for a word to give someone or to share with someone for their their building up and for our churches building up. Um, like, I, I wonder if are we actually are we the members of Frontier Church? Are we actually asking God for that? Um, mm. And would you mm-hmm. be surprised if God gave you that word? And would you keep that to yourself because you're cynical and you didn't think that that actually happened? Or would you be hopeful and expectant? You'd be like, I can't wait to tell this person what God God has revealed to me, what God has given me. I really want that to be our culture. Like, yeah. do you think do you think we can get there as a church where like the average member is like, dude, I'm psyched to come to church this Sunday because I have to tell Andrew that I think the Lord said this to me last night. Do you think we can get there as a church? Absolutely. And it's going to be difficult. And I think it's easier for some people. Like if, if you're skeptical about all things like me, you'd be like, did God really say that to you? Like, mm-hmm. come on, you, you know, I've never even heard you pray out loud. And God's now just given you a word. Like <laughs> that's me being a Zachariah. Yeah. 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 Totally. So, so uh, yeah, I think people, those who have um, a personality more like me, we've got to do a lot of hard work to, to get there and, and to celebrate it when it happens. Like be be like Mary, sing a song about how oh this thing is happening. Yeah, baby, this is awesome. Yeah, baby, because like I had this vision in my head of people walking into Frontier on Sunday mornings and not feeling like uncomfortable and stiff and sit down and wait for the worship to start. I had this vision of people coming in and like the average member just being like, "Hey, bro, can I pray for you? Can I, is it cool if I lay a hand on you and pray?" And it's not just the leaders who are doing this, but it's like a normal thing. Yeah, I would love for that to be the tone of our of our church gatherings. Yeah, man, and I like I've shared it before on the podcast, I think. But Luke came up to me one Sunday morning and said, "Hey, I was in the scriptures, and God gave me this. I think God gave me this word for you. I don't know what's you know what it's about, but here's what what I felt the Lord place place on my heart, and it was totally relevant, and it impacted me deeply hmm. um, to where I was like." Praising, I was I praise the Lord because I needed to hear that, and I've been praying about discouragement. And here, this brother comes in and shares what God revealed to him. Um, I've been crying out to God to to encourage me because I was you know beating myself up or and you know being whiny about my situation. And the way that the Lord answered that prayer was through another member of our church. So huge! Like I, yeah, I, I want yeah. that. I want to see that happen. I love that example too because Luke could have been. What Luke could have done when God gave him that word was say, Andrew knows the Bible pretty well. He already knows that verse, so I don't need to tell him that. Yes. But don't don't ever think that. Don't ever think, well, I've got this encouragement for Cole or Andrew or my husband or a friend or my spouse and, and think, well, they already know this, so I don't need to tell him that. Don't ever think that. No. Um, because the difference between me knowing something and somebody saying it out loud to me is monumental. Mm-hmm. So, so helpful. Yeah. So helpful. And I think that's, you know, even if you want to if you want to say that Habakkuk was not being reverent and his complaints were unjust and he shouldn't have talked to God like this, the one thing that you can pull out of that is that he was persistent in it, at least. 
Yeah, yeah, there and, you go. And his persistency, you know, and him constantly bringing the conversation before the Lord, the Lord answered him. And so I think if if we do want to, as a church family, get to that point, we've got to be persistent. If we, And it's not like God is just, you know, a dad who's, you know, the kid's saying, hey, can, can I have the ball, dad? And the dad, you know, does the typical dad move and puts it up way up in the air where the kid cannot <laughs> feasibly get it. Like, that's not what God is doing. I should stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what God is doing whenever he when we perceive him to be delaying his answer to our requests, like, because he's, he's moving things. Like he was moving a nation and building a nation and everything that goes into that just to answer the prayer of how long are you going to sit by and not, not show justice? Mm. Like, so when you're praying for a friend to come to know Jesus and you've been sharing the gospel with them all the time and they just seem not to be, to believing and they don't want to follow Jesus we don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. We don't know what conversations that he's, that he's arranging. He's, we don't know what kind of, you know, books that that person's going to stumble upon or, or yeah, situation. Yeah. Like we don't know what that stuff is. And so that's why it's so important for us to continue to cry out to the Lord for these things to happen because he is, he's growing us. He's building up expect expectations and anticipation in us for that, that request to be made known. I feel like we're on the verge too. Of accomplishing that type of culture. Yeah. Like, I think it's a mixture of God using COVID in our favor, growing the angst of our church, um, growing the delight in the closeness that we get to experience. I don't know. I just, I have, I think we can, I think the Holy Spirit wants us to get there. Yeah. And like we've said for the, you know, really the past 12 months, like the way to get through the chaos of life is following Jesus and acting like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so as we see, you know, Jesus withdraw from crowds and and go commune with the Father in prayer, him praying out loud, like these we we see this is how we can survive. So whenever we're crying out, how long, oh Lord, are you gonna let viruses ravage the world? We can anticipate that it will mm-hmm. come to an end. And maybe not in this lifetime, but in the in sure. the, the the age to come. Um, but we still cry out, How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? And he's not offended. He's not offended by that. He's not offended by us asking these questions. Yeah, yeah. And I like what I like what Spurgeon has to say about the about Habakkuk. This is the last thing that I think I have to say. Um, Spurgeon says, "As a petitioner coming into court does not come there without thought to state his case on the spur of the moment." but enters into the audience chamber with his suit well prepared, having also learned how he ought to behave himself in the presence of the great one to whom he is appealing. So it is well to approach the throne of the king of kings as much as possible with premeditation and preparation, knowing what we are about, where we are standing, and what it is which we desire to obtain. I like that. Mm -hmm. Like spending time throughout your day thinking, what what is it that I want to say? To God, what is it when I come before the throne of the God of gods that I want to argue? Let me daydream about that. Let me premeditate on that. Let me prepare, and then when I stand before God, I want to state my case. For whatever reason, I really, I really like that. No, I think that's really helpful, and that's as I've to make Habakkuk come to life more for me. That's kind of the image I've had in my in my head is. Habakkuk enter into the you know the the court's chambers and he's oh cool bringing his case before the Lord like this is what's going on you said you were gonna you said you you said that you're holy that you're different and other than us but you're not you're not putting down the wickedness of the of the nation so like he's you know giving his his case um, and is expecting a verdict to be delivered so one of the one of the interesting things about that that image the courtroom image is that C.S. Lewis has a famous quote about putting God in the dock. He says <laughs> he says you know ancient man always believed that they were in the dock and that God was questioning. What modern man is guilty of is putting God in the dock. That's interesting. But Habakkuk does it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's an ancient god. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah. I don't know maybe that wasn't even helpful to bring up but no, I think it's I think it's interesting. Hmm. Um, any last words, parting shots, anything about Habakkuk that you want to drive further into our imagination? I don't think so. I just yeah, I think the yeah, the consistency and persistence of Habakkuk, I think that's something that we can we can learn greatly it's from. Good. And then not be disappointed when God answers prayers, when he gives the thing out that we were asking for. Um 
that, that we would, we would receive things with hope and with with uh, with great joy. It's a good word, man. Yeah, church. I I hope that as a result of listening to this conversation, you feel more pressed into dialogue with God and not dampened in in, in any way. And so, whether you're from Des Moines or elsewhere, maybe you're a part of Frontier Church, maybe you're not. But whatever local church you're a part of, we we hope that this helps you pray for your church, helps you move your church in the direction of prayer, and helps helps you worship local. 